know.com clarity about reality Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed us to live another day we are in the month of Rabi' al-Akhir and I start by reminding myself and you that if you can to fast on Mondays and Thursdays whenever you are able or the 13th, 14th and 15th of this month Coming on the Tuesday, this Tuesday will be the night of Rabi' al-Akhir. So that way you know you've got time, you've got another four days. If you want to fast the 13th, 14th, and 15th, you have another four days if you so choose to do that. The reward is massive. Now, in addition to that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us regarding governance. Because I mentioned this in the last khutbah starting this series when I was discussing what does Muslim governance look like. Because you have different groups that are saying, we're bringing an Islamic state. We're bringing this. We should have an Islamic state. We need an Islamic state. You have unbelievers who are concerned about the uh, Sharia creep, the creeping of the Sharia secretly coming in. First they want wudu facilities. Then after that they'll want to rule the world. There's this concern. So every time they hear about anybody wanting anything, yes, we just want a repair room. No, I know what's going on. There's a sharing group. So we want to ask them, where is all of this coming from? What does Muslim governments look like? We started from the beginning, from the Adam alayhi salam and his wife Hawa alayhi salam, and we got all the way down to the era of the Biyul Musa showing that under Muslim governance there is not a selection, there is not an election, there is a selection. That there are no elections under Muslim governance. The first period of Muslim governance by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started off with direct selection. These are prophets, they are ruling humanity, they are the leaders, this is how it shall be. This was the first phase. Direct selection. Now we reach the era of Nabi Musa alayhi salam. <clears throat> when we reach that era, Nabi Musa alayhi salam deputizes his brother, the Prophet Harun alayhi salam. Nabi Harun alayhi salam chooses 70 scholars. You can read about this in Sulbarah. He chooses 70 scholars. And those 70 scholars become helpmates of his. Nabiuna Harun alayhi salam dies before his brother, Nabiuna Musa alayhi salam. But they carry on the mission that had already been set. In one of the battles, Nabiuna Musa alayhi salam was holding his hands up. And for the duration that he held his hand up and his stick up, the soldiers were advancing and victorious. But then his hands began to feel tired, so he dropped them, and they started to be overwhelmed by the enemy forces. So some of the seventy scholars took his hands and they held them up so he could continue to have his troops prevail over them. And eventually they were victorious. <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them gifts, the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box that had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can read about this in Surah Al-Baqarah, the second surah, Ayat 265 on. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the Ark of the Covenant. 
which had the Amama of the Bira Musa alayhi salam, the Amama of the Bira Harun alayhi salam, one of the tablets from the Torah that had been broken, the slab that had been broken, and a sample of the Hanna and a sample of the the sample of the the uh, Manna and a sample of the Salwa. So all of this was in here as a proof of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's governing over this people directly. Now one day, when the Biyuna Musa السلام, was sitting outside of his tent, he was taking questions, and there were a huge amount of Messiah. And his 70 scholars said, these questions are many. These questions are many. And it may be you will not be able to attend to them and what Allah is revealing. If you could tell us the answers to these and how to abide by them, then we will therefore inform the people. This was done. Thus began a second era of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's governance, which was an indirect selection, which was a prophet selecting people to govern after him. And these people were known as Ulul Amr, the people of command and order, i.e. scholars, ulama, whatever you want to call them. So these people were the next phase. So when people had Masa'il, if the scholars couldn't answer it, if the 70 couldn't, they went to the Bina Musa He would then go in, take, remove the top from the Ark of the Covenant, and he would then put on that Amama, he would ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Masa'ilah, and would receive the answer. This is if they couldn't answer it themselves. So you have direct and indirect rule, both coming from Allah. The Bina Musa alayhi salam died. But before he dies, he leaves his authority with another one of the prophets, Yeshua ibn Nun, who was a prophet, but also the head of the Mujahideen among the children of Israel. And authority smoothly passes to him. It carries on. But the children of Israel, after 40 years, come into the Holy Land, which is Asham, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, Palestine, Israel, this whole chunky area, but particularly the area where we see the state of Israel today. They come into that area. Now they see the nations around them, the Jerusalem, the Amalekah, the Canaanites, all of these other nations. What do they have? Earthly kings. Some of them have queens. They have ministers and all these other groups. So what do the children of Israel say? They say, we want a king. We, we want kings. They have prophets running their affairs. And the elected representatives of those prophets, those selected representatives, and they say, no, we want a king. We want kings. We want kings. We want kings. Their prophet, the Yonah Shamil, alayhi salam, he says, a king will be selected, but he will have to fight for the sake of Allah, just as you see these people fighting. And so the Bina Shamir alayhi salam, in looking for their selection of a king, they receive a selection of a king. First king is Talut. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as always in his wisdom, he always points back to what you actually need, not what you want. So Shamir, the Bina Shamir alayhi salam, in choosing the second king, four men are standing. One is a rich man, 
One is a powerful man, and one is a man of very stately lineage. And he passes the stick over the head of the very wealthy man, because the stick moving would be the sign of their next king. Nothing happens. The man of stately lineage and beauty, nothing happens. The man with great wealth, nothing happens. And standing at the end of the row is an unassuming, very thin young man. And the stick shakes with him, and the people are jeering and laughing because he's a young man, and he's thin. And he's not from one of the big 12 tribes of Israel. He's from Yechia, which is one of the smallest. He's not from one of those huge tribes like Ruben, Levi, Ephrachar, Ephraim. He's not one of those huge tribes, tiny like Dan, one of the tiny tribes. So he is chosen. And for only the second time in their history, they anoint him with olive oil and they pour it over his head as a royal sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's acceptance and selection of this king. This is known as a Masaha, one who has it poured over them with this anointing oil is called Messiah, anointed. You may recognize this because there's a second king who comes and this is done to him, the Isa who also bears the title of Messiah, an anointed king. But we'll talk about that later. He is now brought as a king. Allah indicates if you have a king, it should be these people. That's why Allah made a prophet pass to another prophet. This is what you should have. So the Bila Dawood rules as a king. He's a prophet king. And there were a series of prophet kings. He was the first one. He looked at a massive field. And there was nothing there. And he said, Oh Allah, I will build for you a place where only you and you alone shall be worshipped. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about him, Be patient on what the unbelievers may say against you. And remember our slave, Dawood, who had power and aid. And in Arabic, it's the expression al-izzah. Now, al-izzah in Arabic means something very specific. Don't know what it is in other languages? Don't care. It's very specific. Izzah is where someone has might that is clearly discernible. Where you, where if they are, if they are seated in front of you, they have might. And when you look at them, you feel, you feel. Um, you feel fear of them, not out of worship, but a fear of respect, and you do not glance at them directly in the face. That's that fear. You'll have people from my generation, from my culture, that when they see their mother, and she sits down in the living room, and they see their mother, they come in, they kiss her right hand and her forehead, and they never look their mother in the face, ever. That's how I grew up. We had a family gathering, and my mother sat on the seat. They put a they put a tiara on her head as a sign of the family's respect for her. No one could look her in the face, and that's been that way since that time. So that's Isa, might. So 
This is what Nabi Dawood had. He had might. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, what you build, when you start building this place for me to be worshipped, you will only finish the mihrab and the walls. You will not finish the entire project. Your son will. But you will name this city. So he built the city, he built the walls, he built the mihrab, then he died. This city is Jerusalem. So next time you're speaking to a Jew, he'll refer to it as the city of David. And he's right. He built it. He only finished the outward wall, the mihrab, then he died. He did not finish the entire masjid. You have the next prophet king, Nabi Suleiman alayhi salam, right after. He finishes Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa the first time, the first building of it. Builds the area up. Strengthens the walls. And this is the beginning of the children of Israel being focused on one Qibla, one area, one king, one army, one rule. That's the beginning. So we enter into the era of now just prophets ruling. Now we have prophet kings and then we have scholars. And as I've said, I can't stress this enough. It wasn't election, it was selection. This is the era of, this, of these particular people. Now, after them came a series of layman kings. Some righteous, some wicked. You had Hezekiah, you had all these different kings that came after. And what you entered into by having kings who were not divinely appointed and not infallible, you entered into an area of wickedness, righteousness, wickedness, righteousness, wickedness, righteousness. So what would happen is you had kings who were wicked. In the time of Nabiullah Ilyas, they killed 120 prophets in one day. 120 prophets in one day. And Nabiullah Ilyas was the one standing. I'll mention very briefly about him. Nabiullah Ilyas and another Nabi, his name was Nabiullah Ilyasa. Both prophets. And they witnessed the carnage of what happened. Now, at that time, the king over the children of Israel was an extremely wicked man. And his wife, he'd taken from Phoenicia, which was a uh, which was an area near, near uh, northern Syria. And she was renowned for her beauty. She was described by historical accounts as being dark and lovely. So she was a woman that had extreme beauty and was dark and lovely. He married this woman, Yehazabel. Uh, he married this woman. And she worshipped several deities. The most wicked of which was Baal. Baal was a harvesting deity that demanded child sacrifice. So, the prophets that railed against this were slaughtered. Nabiullah Ilyas alayhi salam brings in the era of saying, I will challenge Baal and you shall see there shall be no defeat for my Lord, the true Lord. So they gather all the priests of Baal together and they said, and what will happen if you lose? He says, if I lose, then I will be killed and you will be victorious and you'll hear nothing more of me. But if I win, die. And they said, well, this is an easy test. And so the priests of Baal came together and the entire kingship of that wicked king of the children of Israel was on the line. 
And they said, we call on Baal to take this offering from us. And they did this seven days and seven nights, and they're cutting themselves. And the Bila Salam said, maybe he's asleep right now. Maybe he's deaf. Why don't you shout louder? He probably can't hear you. Aliyasa is mocking them in the background and hissing. Because these are prophets. They know where the victory lies. Nabina Elias alayhi salam said, maybe he's asleep at one of your homes. Go wake him up. Just like your statues. The people were furious. So finally at the end of 14 days, they went to Nabina Elias alayhi salam and said, and what will you do? He said, I will do something which none of you can do. He made two prophecies. He said, first my, my offering will be taken. Second of all, this woman who this king is married shall be nothing but a meal that the dogs will lick her blood and clean their meat from in between their teeth. Well, obviously the king is offended. You don't say about someone's uh, wife that's going to get eaten by dogs and stuff like that. So she got upset. The first part of the prophecy came to pass. He said, the, the sacrifice that I'm going to do, he sacrificed the sheep, left it on the altar, and said, now pour water on the altar. Why are you pouring water on the altar? How are you going to burn any offering or anything else? He says, it's not me that's going to burn this. And he made one dua to Allah. And after the Lord, lightning came down from the sky, struck the altar, burned the entire wood around it and the offering. Well, as you might rightly guess, the people were surprised. The priests were all killed. Yehezabel, uh, was thrown from the window of her house by revelers and dogs chomped on her flesh in between their teeth and lapped up her blood in the street. Now there started to be a conflict between the rightful rule of the people in charge of the human race and people that came after that started selecting and choosing and building ministers and other things. This was the era. We're coming to the end of the era of Prophet kings. And now we're coming into an era of kings versus prophets. And this era would be one characterized with the murder of prophets, the slaughter of the people who enjoy the right for the wrong. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, In this era of prophets, then prophet kings, and then we came to an era outside of prophet kings. The era was now one in which we were moving into kings versus prophets. A tremendous fitna. But what I advise you to keep in mind in ending this is the following. We are soon going to be heading into a period in the governance where now you have people selecting the kings and those who rule over them and rebelling against prophets. That era will become a common feature and will permeate for the next 2,000 years.
and it will lead to wars, Jerusalem being trampled down some 15 times throughout history, and other things occurring. What I want you to understand in this second installment is the following. Firstly, you need to understand that the governance by what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed. He mentions that he gave prophecy, nabuwa, and hukum, prophethood, and judgment. These are the core components of any society that's going to be ran successfully. Number two, in any society, in which they hope to move forward. And what I mean by move forward, meaning for the betterment of society itself as a group, not for individuals, because group rules take more precedence over the individual. If one person has to die to preserve a party or a group, this is more correct, as the Prophet ﷺ said, if you find there's two khalifas, you kill the second one. In the hadith and the sahih of Muslim. Why? Because... If even though a group of people may like that second one, it is more important, even though that second one might be virtuous, it's more important that the unity of the entirety of the Muslims is preserved by the killing of that one person than that two clowns stay alive. It's important. You also must understand, in a society where things are orderly and ran properly, cream rises to the top. I want you to go out next time you get a chance and to buy raw milk, or as pure milk as you can. Bring it home. Pour it in a pan. Turn your stove on gas mark 5. Don't leave it because it will come to a boil very quickly. You will start to see a very thin layer on the top. And there will be a thick yellow layer on the bottom. If it's raw or pure milk, that thick layer on the bottom is whey. You scrape that off with a spoon, you put that to the side. If you're looking to put, pack on muscle and get big, forget those garbage diet drinks because they only have about 1% whey powder and the rest is chalk. What's making you big, what's giving you a six-pack, what's making you huge is whey powder. Scrape that off the bottom, put that to the side. And you take a teaspoon of that a day, you will notice you'll put on a stone in a few months. And it will be muscle. you'll also notice that thin layer on the top. That thin layer on the top is cream. When you have real milk, cream rises to the top. And in societies that are orderly, their cream rises to the top. There are tremendous athletes who outshine everyone else. And they're there because they have the skills to be there. They're there for that reason. No one votes on who's the greatest of all time. It just is. And it's established. In all different types of spheres of life, governance, ruling, economics, math, you will never find a situation where people are electing the best. The best are selected. These are the best of all people. You must understand that the best in society should rule, not the most wealthy, not whoever is the most convincing. Because Uthman ibn Affan was the longest reigning khalifa of the four. 
But he forgot his first chutzpah. He wasn't the most well-spoken. He wasn't the most well-spoken. But he had the right to rule. He had the right to rule. Number three is the condition, ordering, and running of society. And its orderliness is more important than individual rights and proclivities. If you look at societies or places where they say, well, listen, we have a Bill of Rights, and this guarantees the individual rights and freedoms, those individual rights and freedoms often supersede and the circle spreads into group freedoms. Group freedom is more important than individual freedom. And the preservation of group order is better than individual freedom. Because if you preserve individual freedoms as more important than anything else, you will impinge upon family and the very ether of society. Number four. Everything that we understand about what governance is, how, sh how society should be run, I want you to take from now until Ramadan and just read through the Quran. I'll leave you with this challenge. See if you can find any system in there that resembles the systems that are around you today. Don't read into it. Just read it as it is in translation. See if you can find any system or any way of governance in there that resembles what you're doing today in terms of what's around you, what you can see around you, or even people that are claiming, oh yes, this is an Islamic state. In fact, see if you can find the notion of a state or a national identity. Oh, these are Egyptians and these are Syrians and these are Pakistanis, but these little dark buggers over here, they're Bengalis. They're dark, they're crap. See if you can find any of those significations in there. See if you can find it. Well, for some reason, if you can't, and you won't, then you have to change your thinking. You have to change your thinking. And number five, finally, I want you to look at this reality. After that reading all the way through, from cover to cover, got six months, you should be able to do it. Cover to cover, six months, the next thing I want you to look at is this. Where have I read into Revelation something that is not there when actually Revelation is something, Allah is saying something totally different to what I have been telling people in the streets? How many times have you heard someone say, Islam is about equal rights for everyone, is it? So then the woman should have the baby by herself. Well, Islam, it's nothing to do with me then. We're getting divorced. Let the broad look after herself if we take equal rights. But that's not in the Quran. In the Quran, in Surah Al-Baqarah, you find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says if women uh, don't want to breastfeed their children or they want to be paid for breastfeeding their children, that you have to pay them, that you have to maintain them. And in addition to that, they should have maintenance and, up, and upkeep money for their clothing as well. So every season they get a new set of clothes. So it's spring, well, I need my spring clothes, I have to update my catalog. If I'm going to keep looking after myself and looking good for you and looking good for myself and as I should be, I've got to update my catalog. 
What do you want me to do? It's not my fault I'm a woman. I just have to update my catalog. And as being a guy, you got to be the breadwinner. Men are the maintainers of women. So if you're wondering why you're getting up at 6 in the morning and your head is pounding and you're headed out the door, oh, man, Lord, you get back, you're being told, you got to take out the garbage, we need milk, we need bread, we need this, we need that. Even if you're not married, your mom will be on you like that. Why? Because she's preparing you for what? For when your wife gets on you like that. This is a training exercise. It's a dry run. So when you get home and your mom says, listen, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that, and also, you haven't even done this today. You're supposed to suck that up. You write that down. Okay, this is what I have to expect. It's part of responsibilities. Next time you look in the Quran, look and see if the way that we deal with our parents, if some of us have been disrespectful to our parents, if you can find that in the way you've been running your life. The way you present Islam to other people. Is that in there? If it's not, it's time to start looking further. Because Islam is bigger than you and I. It's bigger than that. 6,236 ayats in the Quran and 1 million authentic ahadith spread over 500 collections. You and I are not going to tell Allah what he can do with his revelation. Because he's going to tell us where we can and can't go Wrapping all that up, and wrapping up those five points, I say to myself and to you, we have to start to rethink what we've either been told, what we've heard, what we've seen in the press. Because these three forms of audio projection and sensory perception, the eye, the ear, and the mouth that repeats those things, are very important. Because if you've received improper knowledge through the two orifices of the eyes and the ears, then what you spout out will be what we were taught at West Coast Expression, ye go, garbage in, garbage out. So you have to think and to change how we are. Whatever changes you need to do, just do that. Because a time will come when you will be told, Fear a day in which no soul shall be rewarded regarding another. And there will be no intercession for another. And no transactions on that day. And there shall be no safety or security. Fear that day. Because it's coming. وعلى آله وأصحابه وسلم أجمعين رحمة الرحمين لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير لا إله إلا الله ولا نعبد إلا إياه له النعمة والفضل والثناء والحسن والجميل لا إله إلا الله مخلصين له الدين ولو كره الكافرون لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير 
اللهم لا مانع لما عطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد اللهم اغفر لنا المؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات والمحسنين والمحسنات والمجاهدين ومناقبات الأحياء منهم والأموات Oh Allah, we ask that you forgive us for our sins from the last Juma up until this one and make us better believers from when we came here. Oh Allah, we ask that you give us the strength to eschew all sin, inward and outward, and reject shaitan when he comes to us. Oh Allah, we ask that you protect us on we, we, oh Allah, we ask that you protect us on the day of resurrection with your shade, on a day when there shall be no shade but your shade. And oh Allah, we ask that you make the Quran beloved to us and its recitation and understanding and knowing it the most important things to our heart. And oh Allah, we ask that you give us knowledge of this book and Sunnah. Oh Allah, we ask that you protect us from envy, arrogance, and all the unsightly uh, bad attitudes and etiquettes that may come into ourselves. Oh Allah, we ask that you replace these bad etiquettes with righteous etiquettes. And oh Allah, we ask that those that look to us as role models that we do not disgrace this religion or disgrace ourselves. And oh Allah, those that we look for as role models, we ask, oh Allah, that you give us good role models so that we're not led astray. Oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who use our time wisely and work firmly for your sake and your sake alone. And oh Allah, we ask when shaitan comes, comes to us in any attractive form that we recognize him for who he is and we reject him. Oh Allah, we ask that we do not make excuses for our sin, but we confront it head on and fight against it. Oh Allah, we ask that you give us courage against our lower selves so that we may resist and become better. And oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who stand firm for this faith no matter what. Oh Allah, we ask that you take cowardice and laziness from our hearts and replace it with bravery and righteousness and steadfastness for your sake and your sake alone. And oh Allah, we ask that you bless this ummah, the first of them, the last of them, the younger than the old of them, the righteous of them, the unrighteous of them, all until the day of resurrection and you bless them in whatever state they are in. وصلى الله على سيدنا ونبينا ورسولنا محمد بن عبد الله وعلى آله وأصحابه وسلم أجمعين الحمد الرحمن سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك وأشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك إنه غفور رحيم يرحم الرحمين إن الله يأمر بالعدل no. Clarity about reality. See more at know.com.